Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Greg Burton, welcome to the Center of the Universe. I appreciate you joining us tonight. It is always a pleasure to come to the Center of the Universe. It is the Center of the Universe, <laughs> it is. right? Yes. You've lived in a couple different places, but we're actually in the Center. Ross Luck told me very early on, Ashland, Virginia is a special place. <laughs> and I don't think he's wrong. Of course, I'm a little biased. I'm from here, too. I love it up here. I've Yeah. I probably don't get up here enough. Uh, there's great people and great restaurants. And yeah, it was awesome. And it's always nice to you know get your passport punched when you're coming from the west end to come all the way out here it's great <laughs> it is a different it's really not a richard metro out here it sort of is but it sort of isn't it's a unique place so i i guess our connection silent rob's here tonight as well but uh our connection to you as a podcast is through ross yes uh ross luck who um obviously the luck family is embedded in the fabric of ashland virginia right i mean um when i first heard the story about luck chevrolet you know, oldest continually family-owned Chevy dealership east of the Mississippi. And he will tell you that almost every time you talk <laughs> I, to but him. But I love that. I bought my last three cars from him. Oh, um, wow. And, uh, yeah, and so when we started the radio show, uh, for real, in 2004, he was one of the first people to jump on. Yeah. And he was just a great friend, and I knew him through covering the University of Richmond. He's such a hardcore U of R fan, and of course, you know, his dad and the rest of the family and, you know, half the, of the folks that work at Luck love Randolph Macon as well. Oh so my gosh. Yeah. He's just a great fan, but I've learned so many other great friends up here, a lot at Randolph Macon, a lot of connections there. So yeah, I, I, he's, he's a great friend. Well, you were very gracious to uh, talk to him about doing this, and then the fact that you're here is awesome. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. This is, you guys do a great job. It's, it's fun, and uh, like, you know, we were talking a little earlier off, like, the posterity of it, the history of it, you know, just having people tell their stories for, you know, for the record is is awesome. So you don't have an accent. So you could be from anywhere in the country. <laughs> you don't th- I don't it, think you have an accent. Are we drinking at all? We, no? we can if you want. The accent will come out. <laughs> do I, I need, do if I I need to give you pops? <laughs> the accent would probably come out. <laughs> is it a Philly accent? A little bit. Yeah, look, water. Yeah, okay. Water. Yeah, yeah stuff like that. Or I just start talking faster. Uh, you know, I think I just start talking faster. And um, I, my first TV job was in Pocatello, Idaho. Which no one's ever heard of. You hadn't heard of it. I had not heard of it. It's a dual market, Idaho Falls and Pocatello. They're about 50,000 people each. They're in southeast Idaho, about two hours north of Salt Lake City. It's beautiful. It's, a, it's an amazing place. It was one of the best things I ever did. But when I got there, the first week of the job, the news director said, you have to talk slower. <laughs> I was talking to like those speed. poor cowboys had no clue what I was saying. I was speaking, I mean, literal cowboys, not the, the you know, actual B- cowboys. BS count in yeah. Dallas. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, I was just talking so fast. <laughs> I was so excited. I was young. I was like 24 or whatever. And uh, it was really fun. But yeah, I think just over the years, learning to talk clear and concise and, and so like, yeah, but if you know you brought out some red wine or some Miller lights, then you know it would go away pretty quick. When did you feel comfortable in Idaho? We're going to bounce back to where you grew up and all that, but when did you feel comfortable there? I I mean almost immediately. I mean the first thing I ever covered, first story, first day was high school rodeo. High school rodeo <laughs> is a sport, not not where you're from, but out there. And I was like, I have no clue what's going on. And I had to do a live shot first day, and I'm doing it, and the horse was taking a leak behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Swear, absolutely. The cameraman did his job, though, didn't show. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, 
And it just, I mean, it sounded like a waterfall. <laughs> and so it was, uh, I was like, this is going to be, but it was like such a great adventure. Um, it's, you know, really close to Yellowstone yeah. and Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's gorgeous. And north there. of Salt yeah. Lake City. And so like I grew up, you know, in that sort of, you know, Philly, Baltimore, D.C., you know, northeast, you know, concrete jungle. And so going out there was so amazing. Everybody hunts and fishes, and I learned so much. I'd never been hunting. Mm. I'd never been fly fishing. It was it was awesome. It was so great, and I learned. I learned a lot. I was there for three years, and then I moved here to Virginia. All right, so you were living in Delaware mm-hmm. at the age of 24. How did you connect to Pocatello, Idaho? I wanted to work full-time in TV, and I had I was juggling a bunch of different jobs in and around Wilmington, Delaware, my hometown, working for a radio station, working for a cable TV station, working for a minor league baseball team, working for the University of Delaware, and I was putting out my audition tapes. I mean literal VHS tapes. Actual tape. And you, were, you just pack them up with a resume, and you send them all around the country, and... Was there a service, or did you have to send individual? There were, but I, I just would pack them up, and I would just type out my letters. Because this is, you know, 94, so there's, there's no internet. Yeah. Really. And so we, um, I thought I almost got a job in Wheeling, West Virginia, that I wanted really badly because it wasn't that far, and it would have been a great place to start, and it didn't pan out. And then the next day, this guy called from Idaho, and I was like, I'm going. Only the second time I ever saw my dad cry, because he was like... You're going where? You're going to the other side of the earth. 2,600 miles away. Me and my brother drove. It took us three days to drive. But it was awesome. I, I really, really loved it. And I was there for three years. And it was just, yeah, it was a great... I didn't go away for college. Mm. Right? I went to Delaware, yeah. which was 20 minutes from my house. And so I... Like, that was my going away from home experience. And it was far. I mean, it was great. But everybody in my family came to visit at least once. They probably loved it, too. They, they loved it. I mean, everybody's been to Yellowstone. Everybody's been to Jackson Hole and because uh, it, it, it was all so close. And so, like, everybody's watching Yellowstone now, right? Because it is a great show. Rob even has that. I, Montana, <laughs> right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been to Montana and Yellowstone. And so everybody's like, we were there, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. It was, you know. It was it was really cool. It was an amazing experience. It's uh, part of this country, but it is very very different than how you grew up. Well, I'm looking behind. You know, you have these national park things behind you, and I'm like, yes, there's so many amazing places out there, and like the ones that like people know of, and then all these like the local places that like our weatherman would take me to. Like this is my secret fishing hole, right? And like it, it's amazing, right? It's like the water's clear, and you're just pulling. You know, fish out like you know nobody's business, and it was it, it was awesome. It was so cool. All right, let's back up. You grew up in Delaware, uh-huh. uh, suburbs of Wilmington. I'm I'm contractually obligated to say the first state. <laughs> Just so you know, it is the I, first I, state. I, I've been to your uh, capital in those old, old, really old buildings. Well, how does Delaware? Since you brought it up, how does Delaware have the claim to first state? Were, Were they the, the first, first to ratify ratify the Constitution? Okay. Yep. Yep. Our version of uh, Paul Revere is Caesar Rodney, and he rode in to. To the, you know, one of the third person to sign it from our state. We were the first one to ratify the Constitution. What's his name again? Caesar Rodney. Caesar is spelled like Julius Caesar? Yeah, Caesar Rodney. He's like that our was a version name? of... That was a name back then? There's a high school in Dover, and there's a statue in Wilmington, Rodney Square, and it's Caesar Rodney on his horse because he rode from Dover to uh, to Philadelphia. To Philly, yeah. yeah. Wow. I've, I've learned something. There about. you go. My job is done. <laughs> Crack the beer. I'm in the water. We, we do have beer if you want some. I, you probably won't like what I've got. Of course. Uh, well, I'm more of a bourbon, I, bourbon guy. 
probably have some red wine upstairs too if you want to crack that. There we go. Which we'll is, stick I, with a coffee that don't. I did do Dunk and uh, Dunkin' Donuts and a little water. We're good. Do you, you drink coffee at night all the time? No, but to get jammed sometimes. Okay. Yeah, when, when I was in TV, I was a ser- like I would drink ten cups a day, and because we were doing the eleven o'clock news, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, you watch the folks at Channel Six or Eight or Twelve and. You're working a three to twelve shift, and so oh, I would just I used to drink so much. That was your that was your work day, so you're drinking yeah, all your so work you're just day. It, and then you yeah. go to sleep at two, and you wake up at ten, whatever. That's that's kind of a rough schedule, but you, you, you yeah, didn't, you didn't it's mind like it. I guess it's like all those people that sort of do second shift and third shift, and so you just sort of get used to it. I don't. It's not as bad as mornings when you're getting up at like three or four. Oh, that's brutal. To work more. That's a brutal shift. Yeah. That's a brutal shit. All right, back to growing up in, in Wilmington, first date, suburbs kid or city kid? Right in the city. Okay. I mean, right in the city. Uh, my folks still live in the same house. I went to a small Catholic school called St. Elizabeth's, and um, yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. I walked to school every day from first grade to 12th grade. Oh, same school. Same school. Uh, elementary school's on the first floor, high school's on the second floor. How many kids per grade? The high school was 400 kids total okay. and about the same so probably less than a thousand kids in the whole the whole thing it was, yeah. it was small i think i had like a hundred in my graduating class and my brother was in it my mom went there when it was all girls um it was a neighborhood it was our church it was our school it was our little league it was like my whole life was in like eight square blocks and you love that yeah it was awesome it was such a great way to grow up and my grandparents were down the street and uh yeah, it was. It was my dad owned like a sort of, I guess, a, a, a old school version of a convenience store. Mm. So we were there every day, and yeah, it was awesome. It was yeah, I loved growing up there. And then again, we're, and then we're in the shadow of Philadelphia. I can get to the you know the sports complexes in under thirty minutes. Yeah, and so it was yeah, it was so much fun. When you say uh, old school version of convenience store, was there like a butcher in the convenience store? <laughs> he like he, he they sold. Everything. So I, I guess it's probably more like, like a, to use a New York City term, like a bodega almost. Okay. Like, but like they had lunch meat, they had ice cream, they had medicine, they had like my dad was the guy that let. What do you need? <laughs> okay, well just give me twenty four hours. We'll get it. You know, like yeah, whatever. And, it was. and I'll be carrying it <laughs> yes, for the next cut two years. <laughs> exactly. Like yes, they would sell. You know. They would they would get stuff you know shipped in from Philly like the good cheese you know because like, only good cheese comes from Philly <laughs> exactly <laughs> and so yeah it was uh, and he was there the family sort of owned it and my dad like managed it uh, for many years and so like that was great me and my brother would like just go there and work and I was gonna say you had to have worked there steal baseball cards and Hot Wheels do you still and, have them I do have a lot of baseball cards mostly from like seventy four to seventy eight. Those are pretty good years. Yeah. A lot of Phillies, a lot of Mike Schmidt, a lot of, you know, my guy was Greg Luzinski. My brother's was Mike Schmidt. But I do have some, yeah, we collected a lot. Um, unless my brother's lying, I don't think he sold them to anybody, mm. you know. But, uh, yeah, we still have all that stuff. Are you striking me as a guy that's playing a lot of rec sports? Yeah. Like, that's the way we grew up, right? Like, we played Little League and CYO ball, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did all that growing up, and I loved it. Um, we, yeah, we the little league was two blocks away, and we did all the CYO stuff. I, I did play a little bit of football. That started a little bit later, um, and then like in high school, I wrestled, and we started a golf team, and like we just did. I don't know at a school that was that small. 
RD's like, all right, let's do it. Okay, sure. Why not? You know? And so, yeah, we tried. We did everything. It was so much. It was awesome. Wrestling screams Philly. Yeah, I I got cut from the basketball team, and my best friend's dad was the wrestling coach. And he's like, do you want to come out for wrestling? And I'm like, okay. And so... Did you enjoy I wrestling? I was a very average athlete. Like, super... Which is probably how I got into sports casting. Because I was such a... You love sports, but you weren't top... 2% kind of thing. Apparently, my mom, I would come home from Little League and I would write about the game in a notebook. No, you did not. Yep. That's how it <laughs> wait, started. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. So, baseball. We're talking about baseball. Yeah. 9 to 12 years old. Uh, there are people that love the game for strategy. There are people that love the game for its deliberate pace. It's a thinking man sport. There are a lot of people that love the stats associated with it. When you say you were writing about it, were you telling basically the play-by-play of what had yeah, happened? recap of the game. And Just the highlight, highlights? Yeah, yeah, like I would be like, uh, and then my brother, my brother's name's Corky. That's his, not his Catholic name. It's Edward, but we all called him Corky. And uh, like Corky, uh, my brother threw two perfect games in little league and so like he's like we gotta write this yeah Yeah. so i was like writing about that and writing about you know the first time i got a save or writing about you know you know we lost to such and such team so yeah like game recaps like i mean i didn't know at the time but that's what they were they were game recaps. are these notebooks still around no really they're not i thought my mom would have kept them but that's gold i know no they are not i have saved a lot of interviews I think over the years, and I have boxes and boxes of old interviews from both radio and TV. But I'm with you. Like I've kept a lot of interviews. I have, yeah. I, I. It's funny that you say that because I've kept a lot, like press passes, media credentials from everything. I just have boxes upon boxes, and I keep saying we're you know going to make a collage or something. I mean, just from so many different games. Are you a pack rat? I'm not, but like it's sentimental. Yeah. It's hard to toss. Like, it means something to you. Yeah. Like, I, when I, the first big event I went to when I moved out west was like, I went to a BYU Texas AM football game at BYU. BYU is one of the most beautiful stadiums in the country. It's cut into the Wasatch Mountains right there in Provo, Utah. And I was like, and it was a big game. And I was like, this is amazing. And I still have this like random press credential from BYU Texas AM. But it brings those memories back, right? Yeah. And so I have all that stuff and I have a lot of interviews and a lot of swag from just different things I've been to and championship games and world series and all that kind of stuff and so yes the notebooks don't exist but I I definitely have a lot of memories and memorabilia have you inquired with your mom what happened to your notebooks no I think they just you know they like got used up and I at the time it was like we were so young and so like I don't think she ever thought like when I told my parents what I wanted to do they're like seriously you're going to be a sportscaster? Like, that's a real thing. Right? Like, my dad owns a store. My mom works for a real estate company. My grandfather's a plumber. You know, like, this is blue-collar Wilmington, Delaware. You're not on the radio. Those are fancy people, right? Like, it, it, almost like a dream. Yeah. And so, um, but that now since, my mom and dad have saved everything. Every clip, every article, every, like. Since at, you started in Idaho? I mean, even no, even in Wilmington. So I was working for a local, like, Wilmington's version of WRVA. Okay. So the news talk station there. And, like, stuff that I did for U of D, stuff I did for the uh, our minor league baseball team is called the Wilmington Blue Rocks. Okay. And uh, they've said everything. Because, like, now she'll be like, oh, I found this. And it'll be something from, like, 1992. And, you know, I covered it like an Eagles game. Like, I, would, I had to work on the news side. 
but I would like just go do sports like on the weekends for the stations. So I went to so many Eagles games. When Don Shula set the wins record, he did I was it. at that game. I was at that game within that ga- Philly. That oh my god. Yes. Yeah. So I was on the field after the game. I was in the nosebleeds, but <laughs> and I was just covering it for this radio station and just getting interviews. And so like I did so many of those, like. Yeah, just doing interviews with Randall Cunningham and Troy Aikman. And it was just, I was like, I want to do this forever. Were you getting paid for the sports gig? I would, so that, like, on a Sunday like that, no. Like, I would work, I would work a full-time job, but I would basically work Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, I would just go do the sports. But you had access to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Credentials and the gear and all that kind of stuff. They're like, oh, yeah, go. We're good. That's pretty cool. And then eventually, I got, eventually I got paid to do sports there, but. I started as just like having to cover like everybody else, city council and school board and <laughs> the exciting stuff. Oh my gosh, brutal! <laughs> I now think like how many stories about the school board did I actually make shit up? <laughs> and you want like, to hear something hilarious? We just we just had somebody on who was part of the Hanover County School Board for thirty six years. I, I'm so sorry, <laughs> sir. Ma'am. For ma'am. <laughs> but I was just like, but that's... You know, it's not for everybody. That's what you had to do. It's a, it's much different now. It's way, like, I'm not saying that the people who work in news now don't have to pay their dues, but, like, it's just a much quicker path mm. because, well, they need people to work. I mean, they just do. And so, like, the people... They're who, short people. The people who, sh- who are working... Like, I saw a reporter from Channel 8 just today. I was like, oh, my God, she looks so young. Like, now I am old. But, like, I think they... This was never a first job out of college. It is now. Like, coming to Richmond, Virginia, they're hiring people right out of college, which is unheard of. I, that seems unbelievable to me. Yeah, but that's kind of the way the, the business is sort of gone. All right, I want to go back to high school and talk about how you chose to go 20 minutes away. But you said Blue Rocks, and I know uh, the school you went to are the Blue Hens. What is it with Blue? And my guess is something to do with Slate and the fact that Slate is Blue. And you find a lot of it in Delaware? It is. There's like a, a rock that's indigenous, and it looks like it. Yeah, it's blue. Okay. And then it's uh, in the state. The state colors, you know, blue. Okay. Uh, it's the flag, and then blue hens is like. So the story behind blue hens is that like they are actual like chickens that have blue plumes, mm. and um, the Civil War regiment that represented Delaware when they had downtime during the Civil War, they would do cockfighting. Yep. And the ones from Delaware were like extremely ferocious. So that's why they call them the Fighting Blue Hens. And, and that was they the made name a, of the regiment. They made a name for the entire state. Yes. And then it ended up being a thing. So it's a real, like it's a real thing. Like I went to a game two weeks ago and they have the birds in a little cage sitting there. Are they, are they big and intimidating? Oh, uh, no. They, I mean, they look normal size. And but it's really cool. And my son was like, "Oh my god, they're really this is real. That's an actual blue thing." Like I think he thought I was full of it. Dude, I, I didn't realize it. I didn't realize it was yeah. a, a thing. They're real today. Yep. I mean, you could have told me they existed 150 years ago, but yep. I wouldn't believe they existed. Yeah, because because Delaware's uh, it's not like a full blown ag school, but we have a pretty big ag department there, and so they have a lot of farms and stuff like that, and a creamery and all that kind of stuff on yeah, campus. Yeah. Creamery's pretty big in that part of the country. Yeah, gosh. Have you ever been to one? They're delicious. Yeah, they're also they really like good. Penn State's is really well known, like the Penn State Creamery up there, and a couple of others. But yeah, they're, they're really amazing. All right, you're in high school. You're you're working in your dad's convenience store. <laughs> you're playing sports. When did college become a, a notion for you? Was it always a foregone conclusion that hey, you're in this family, you're going to college? Or mm-hmm. um, I applied to two schools, Syracuse and Delaware. 
Syracuse was the number one broadcasting school in America. Journalism is their thing. It's, and sports broadcasting, the, the Newhouse School of Broadcasting, it's legendary, right? Bob Costas, Mike Tirico, Sean McDonough. Yeah, like, it's names. a who's who. Like half the names that we know and, is uh, 50-somethings came out of Syracuse. And so this is 1988, and I got accepted to Syracuse, and I got accepted to Delaware. And Syracuse was $19,000 a year, and Delaware was three. <laughs> and I was just like... It it kind of like didn't make sense. Who was paying, mom? Yeah, mom they dad? were paying. Okay, I mean we had a little. There, you know, there was like five two nine, and they had a little bit. I was just like, I can't like do that. And like it was, I was a little bit bummed, but it went away very quickly because I got to do a radio show my freshman year at Delaware, and that would have never happened at Syracuse. Oh, they, yeah. Like you have to pay your dues, and it's super cutthroat. And I got to do it right out of the gate and did four years of broadcasting, and that would have never happened at Syracuse. And so, like, it was a great, it was such a great move. No regrets. No, it was awesome. Yeah. No chance that you could have been our generation's Bob Costas if you'd gone to Syracuse. I would have, like, like, I know so so many of my friends went there, and they liked it, and they loved it. Like, you know, they talk about, like, Syracuse Mafia and everything, and that's, like, they are really into being part of Syracuse and Newhouse but like they said it's cutthroat Mm. it's like you learn almost immediately and so like I wouldn't have loved that part yeah because I feel like everybody in broadcasting you sort of know what each other's going through like when we were at channel six and it was like me and Lane right and Ben Hamlin was still over at 12 and Chip was over at eight like we're the only ones who really know what each other's going through that like Hey, sorry. There's you know severe weather. We got to cut your time two minutes. You know, and you're like, this sucks. Yeah. So like, we were the only ones. So I I always felt like a bond with all the other sports guys. And the same thing. Like, if we went to Roanoke, or Virginia Beach, or Charlottesville. Like, we all just kind of bonded. It wasn't. Yeah. So with them talking about being cutthroat, I was like, oh, because we all get along. It's yeah. great. It's so fun. It's almost like uh, podcasters get along famously well. Like, there's no competition with that. Sounds like that's what you experienced when you were at six. I hope so. I mean, we should, like, kind of learn from each other. Like, I'm always impressed, like, you know, musicians learn from other musicians, right? And so, like, that's that's what it should be. Like, um, you're making the world a better place through that collaboration, too, right? Yeah. And I think it just helps. Like, if you're dealing with something, you're like, oh, you know how we handled that? And you sort of share, yeah. you know, what you did. So, um, that was off track, but no, you're good. What, what are your memories from uh, University of Delaware? Being a blue hen, it was uh, like I said, it was like I started going to games when we were little. So now I'm there and I'm doing like I started out like just doing like PA announcing for baseball and and then it led to basketball and then we were like we went to the NCAA tournament for the very very first time in 1991. I guess I was a junior, and so that was a big deal. Like Delaware had never been to the March Madness. Have they been since. Yeah, they've been. They were just in it two years ago. Really? Uh huh. And uh, they are. Um, I mean, they're more of a football school than a basketball school. So, like, there were so many great things. I met so many great people. A lot of people. So he's been getting a ton of attention now. But Jeff Perlman, who's a mm. really popular author, and he has this new book about Bo Jackson. No, oh, I've heard great things about it. And so Jeff and I went to Delaware together. And my senior year, his sophomore junior year, we did the show together. And he's just been a great friend ever since. So I just think about all the guys. And he's like, the Delaware's got a lot of folks that have done the journalism side, not so much the broadcasting side. Jeff's got to be at the top of the list. There's a couple others, um, guys that work for ESPN. But, yeah, I think, like, all those things that we went through when we were little, and, and little when we were in college, and just, you know, um, thinking we knew everything and we had no clue. 
and um, and just sort of remembering all those great, but like all those Delaware basketball teams when we were not very good for a long time and then got good was was pretty special. That's really cool. Yeah, that's like because now like then I move here and it's it seems like it's all about basketball. Like Richmond's got this great heritage. It is a basketball. And VCU's town. got this great, and UVA's up the road, and then half the people still love Carolina even though they're down the road, and then you got Duke fans, and then Randolph Macon just wins the national championship, you know, and they've had amazing history, right and. So, you know, if we start talking about coaches, like Mike Rhodes, one of my favorite guys of all time. I mean, that was – I got the job in Richmond two weeks after he got the job at Randolph-Macon. Mm. Now, he had been there when he got the head job. Right. And so, like, to me, like, we always talk about how, like, we were kind of trying to figure it out together. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think it's the relationships, right? I guess that's what the, the you know, the end of things, like all these relationships you build over the years. Have you read The Bow? Oh, it's well, so good. I, he did an audiobook too, right? I think so. I had somebody independently two weeks ago tell me I had to listen to that audiobook. Mm. Had to go listen to it. He so he didn't voice it, right? I haven't listened Jeff's to it. Jeff's voice is terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. He is not. It must have been somebody else. Yeah. I mean he's he's a you know He well, writes things down. He doesn't talk about he's, stuff. He's brilliant. And he it, it might be his best book. His best book, the very first book he wrote, it's called uh the Bad Guys won about the 86 Mets is brilliant. Mm. And then he wrote Boys Will Be Boys, which is about those Cowboys teams. Yep. And the very first chapter, very first page of the first chapter is uh, about Michael Irvin stabbing a teammate with a pair of scissors who cut in front of him in line in the barber chair. <laughs> this is 100% real story. He's a cowboy. Yes. He's a professional. Michael point. Irvin stabbing this guy with a pair of scissors. You want to hear Small World thing real quickly? Our, <laughs> yes. our guest next week was drafted... To- one position behind Michael Irvin. Who? Uh, Ken Harvey. Oh, he's a great... He's a, oh, that'll be such a good guest. He's really good. If we land him. He's, he's rescheduling me once already. He's very good. Um, we just know him a little bit from all the Redskins stuff. But uh, Je- this might, this is probably his best book. Um, he just spoke to my class at VCU right before he did... So, I mean, he spoke... This is what a good guy he is. He spoke to my class. Obviously, three-hour time different. He lives in California now. Mm. Three-hour time difference, so it's, you know, whatever. Seven in the morning there, gets up. He's just talking to my class. It was great. He's open book. He's probably almost, like, too unfiltered. Um, and then two days later, he's on the Today Show. <laughs> like, he's just – he's a great dude. He's a great dude. And, and he's 52? No, yeah, 50, 50 like, 51? He just turned 50. Okay. Yeah, he just turned 50. All right. Rob's thinking the same thing I do. When we finish recording, we're going to ask you to hook us up with Jeff. Oh, he'll do it. If he's – if it's about selling books, he will do an interview. Yeah, we'll set. I mean, up. we'll uh, we'll get him to 125 <laughs> listeners, maybe. But yeah, he. If you sell, what I so you know what I just did? I just bought. I just gave him away, but I always buy ten books, mm. and then I just give them to people. Yeah. Um, but it's like my way of just thanking him because he's just been great. For, I mean, that's a good idea years. for us. I just buy ten books and then just give them away. I like that. Um, I started doing it with the USFL book. His publisher did not re- told him, do not write a book about the USFL. Do not. It won't sell. And he's like, I'm going to write these three books for you, even though I don't want to. Like, he wrote a book about Roger Clemens. He absolutely didn't want to write. He hates Roger Clemens. He's an a-hole. And he was like, I'm not doing it. But he wrote it so he could write the USFL book. Okay. It is brilliant you probably grew up with usfl oh, yeah, too of course. It's philadelphia stars the right jersey generals baby jersey generals and it is that's my favorite book it's really? so good better than Bo. it is okay because it, it's just so random 
it's just so random. The stories and the people, the the people like he he does like crazy things promotion. And so like what he did was one of the guys he focused on. This guy worked for the San Antonio. I mean, played for the San Antonio Gamblers, and his nickname was Big Paper. So Jeff got T-shirts with the logo printed. He because he sent me one, and on the back it was the guy's number. I think he was like eighty-eight, and it just said Big Paper. What does that even mean? I don't even know. Like I guess he got paid, <laughs> and so he's just. It was yeah. It, it's a very very good book. But uh, yeah, I just usually buy like ten copies, and I just give them out to people. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt that idea. Yeah, uh, it's a great idea. All right, so you're in Idaho. Are you? You're, you're loving it out there, but you're thinking, hey, I want to go to maybe a slightly bigger market. Because that was the next obvious move, I imagine. So you put out tape again. Yeah. And I had, I'd always looked at Richmond. So a guy who worked in Philadelphia as a sportscaster, but he was from Delaware, worked in Richmond. And so that was what put the idea in my head that I can go from Richmond to Philly. Because Philly was the whole. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. So I'd always looked at Richmond. And then there was a woman who I worked with in Wilmington at that news talk radio station who is now working for Channel 6. She does, she's not there anymore. So I was like, okay, that's my connection. And I just, I, I think I was just a pain in the ass. I really, I, I think I just was. And then a job came open, and this is the summer of 98. And um, yeah, and so, I, and I got it. And I was like, like just thrilled. My folks were thrilled because I was just, you know, three hours down the road, right. and it was awesome. And uh, yeah, and so August of '98, I moved here. So in August of 2023, it'll be 25 years that I will have lived here. And I mean, love them all, but it's crazy. I never, I'll have lived here longer than anywhere because I lived 25 years in Delaware. Seems nutty, right? Yes. So it's as long as I've lived in Delaware, I've now lived in Richmond. All right, so you were at Channel 6, and you were the weekend sports yeah, guy. with Lane. What was that like? Lane's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's. But by the way, the, our listening audience can't see your face, but I, I interpreted <laughs> that as uh, sarcasm. Nobody works harder, in, uh, maybe in all of TV, than Lane. Because the sports guys work so hard. He does such a good job. When we started... They had already had a pretty good base. But again, Ben was at 12, who's one of my favorite all-time people. We still chat with him and everything. He's retired, lives in Brander Mill. But, um, and then Chip was at 8. And so, like, me and Lane knew we had to hustle. Like, we have these you were, two, you were, like, you were younger. You were a lot younger than those two. And, like, we just have to hustle. We just have to go to everything. And so, like, we were just like, we'll go to everything. I mean, I would go to, like, Central Lunenburg High School. We were going everywhere just to, like, say, like, yeah, we'll do it. You know, I love Friday Night Football. That was probably the best thing we ever did was just the the whole final score friday and doing friday night football that's so much fun and uh and we just worked really hard and you know everybody's young and you're single and you don't get paid a lot so you have to love it i mean that's kind of what i tell everybody like you just have to love it and you did yeah i i really really did i mean my mom hated it because i would get up at christmas dinner and be like i have to go to the gator bowl <laughs> I have to go and get on a plane, and we're covering tech in the Gator Bowl. I loved it. She hated it. Sorry, I have to do something I really love. Yeah, but like I think they got, like, in 2000, I covered that whole tech season with Vic when they went to the National Championship Oh, it was an amazing year for them. That's probably top three things I ever did. We were in New Orleans for 10 days, and it was amazing. It was just, and I was like, yeah, I want to do this forever. It's It's, it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to Virginia Tech. There's no question. I mean, it's, I'd say it's, 
that and VCU going to the Final Four are the two sort of biggest like things. That's not to discount UVA winning the national championship in basketball because that was major. But like they were on the cusp so long and they're so good. And Tony Bennett is a brilliant, brilliant coach. But the other two things just were so unlikely. Right. Right. And that that's what made it sort of like special. There's been so many championships. But like those two things were just like on another level the way they captured everybody's attention. Vic not being the top recruit out of the Tidewater area, going to Virginia Tech, nobody really knew what he was. And then he he shows off his arm and it's a perfect spiral and he's throwing it like 70 yards effortlessly. Like flicking his wrist. Yeah, he's like, not even really trying. Do you remember the first game, his first game was against JMU and he, they had like sort of like, um, I guess it would sort of be like RPO almost, but he ran the ball and he dove from the five, did a flip into the end zone, but like landed strangely on his ankle. I'm like, oh my God, he broke his ankle, like first play. And he didn't, he was fine. But like, that's when we were like, oh my God, this guy's ridiculous. He's different. He's, yeah. So that was just, but that whole run was so much fun. And so you do have to love all those moments because it's, uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure, get to like what I do now. And I work with all these young people now at VCU in our grad school program who want to work in sports. And we're like, sports is nights, weekends, and holidays. So if you're going to be like, well, I, you know, I gotta, I've got my buddy's wedding. We're like, ah, you actually have a game. Yeah. Like, so you have to love it because you're going to miss stuff. It's like being in the military almost. I, I agreed. I yeah. mean, well. In that well, regard. Yes, yeah. In that regard. And so I just think you have to love it and not think about all the other stuff. Like, but my buddy makes three times what I make. I was like, but he didn't get to go to the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> I right. did. And so, like, I, that was like a fair trade to me. He, he didn't get to interview this guy that I would have loved to have interviewed. I, Everybody would have loved to have interviewed. I just so I, I went to the World Series. I'm a huge Phillies fan, and I got to I'm take a huge, my. I'm a huge Astros fan. Are you really? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we should just end oh. this right now. <laughs> I'm so pissed. Please, please stay. Why was this not discussed beforehand? <laughs> I I've been to seven World Series, and so like, like to me, and I don't say that. Like, do you mean like all four? As of the seven a fan, games? covering some, like everything. I've been to every Phillies World Series since I was born. Wow. That they were in. And then I've went to a few others. And so, like, it's just, yeah, like, I got to do, like, I don't know, seven Final Fours and, you know, a couple Super Bowls. And so, like, to me, like, that just, yeah, I don't ever think, like, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I didn't get to do that. or what, Like, that was, to me, a fair trade-off, all those cool things. What, what's your uh, favorite World Series memory uh, that you were in attendance for? The, the Phillies, 1980. I was 10 years old, and I went with my dad. The, when they beat the Royals. Tug McGraw was a, striking out Willie Wilson. It was probably the first series I really got into. Yeah, because I was 12 maybe at the time. I was obs- The reason I was obsessed with taking my son is because my son just turned 10. And so the symmetry of my dad took me when I was 10. You can't miss that. And yeah. now here's my – and my son likes sports. He doesn't love it. He's a gamer. And I'm really – but here's the thing. I'll tell this story real quick. So my son loves gaming, and uh, you you guys have kids like Rocket League. My my, my son uh, loves Rocket League. He really okay, did. yeah. We watched the Rocket League World Championships streamed <laughs> live. Okay, and it was on YouTube live, and it was also on Twitch. It's right? big money, right? Huge. Yeah. And my son got excited for that the way I would get excited, you know, when the Phillies were in the World Series, and so I was like, okay, that it makes sense. Yeah. Like. That's not what I, but that's his thing, and so it's really, really, really cool. And um, and so, but him, he loved it. He loved going. First of all, you know, ice cream in a helmet that wins every time. 
You can be in any setting. That means every time. I pretty much will put anything in a helmet now for him, and he'll eat it. So, um, he loves that. But it was it was really really cool. But that's number one. Going with my dad and seeing the Phillies win the World Series. I think 1980, the Phillies won the World Series, and um, it was the miracle on ice. U.S. Mm. beating Russia. I think those two things probably shaped me. I don't want to overstate it, but like those are so embedded in my brain. That I'm like, I want that. I want to capture those moments. Watching the U.S. beat Russia and then win the gold medal. And then like going to the World Series, whatever that was. That was February and then October. Eight months later, like, yes, this is what I want to do. For the younger listening audience, the, the, the Americans beating the Russians in those Olympics was like taking the best 15 <laughs> Russians from the NHL yeah. and putting them against kids from the University of Michigan, the University of Minnesota, whatever. Exactly. And we and our our amateurs beat their professionals. It's unbelievable. Tell them to watch Miracle on the on the Disney Channel and yeah. Disney Plus, and like, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's probably the biggest upset I can think of. I think it's the gold standard. Like when you think, because now like everyone's like, so you know, in the media we always rush to label everything the greatest, the most, and like, so we probably overstate it now. But for that moment. And that time period, because now we know everything that goes on because of the internet and right. social media. Yeah, that that's the gold standard. Everything sort of begins and ends. There's kind of a mystery to it too, because you didn't really. There was not it a ton wasn't of live. Yeah, it right. was on tape delay. That's right. It was on. We found out at like five o'clock because if you listen to the radio, and then the game was on at prime time at eight o'clock. Where was that Olympics? Lake Placid, New that's York. Right, it was in the U.S. Yeah. Lake Placid, New York. Which is kind of a weird place to have the Olympics so, anyway. Yeah, it's so crazy. All right, you, we talked about tech back when Vic was there, and you also mentioned the Rams basketball team mm-hmm. in 2011. Oh. What are your memories of, of, of that run? Because nobody saw that coming. That was – so I was teaching at VCU as an adjunct, but I wasn't like really working. So the program I worked for was called the Center for Sport Leadership, the VCU Center for Sport Leadership. It's a graduate school program, master's degree in sport leadership. That trains people to work in the sport industry, and it's amazing. I work, it's the best team I've ever worked on, and my colleagues are awesome. And it's I've never thought I this is like my second dream job. I love it, and uh, we've got people that work all over the world, and we can talk about that later. But I was just starting to get involved with them, and I was doing some internet broadcasts for VCU and helping out, and, and I was doing the radio show. So I was along for that whole ride. Well, I say most of that ride. VCU lost in the CAA final. Right, people, people forget that, and so. Shaka didn't even get the team together to watch. He just got like Joey Rodriguez and like one or two other seniors, maybe like Rozelle or Skeen. And I was already scheduled to travel with Richmond because we knew Richmond was getting in. And so when VCU got in, I don't know if I've ever told this story. When VCU got in, the AD who I was great friends with and, and my friends there, they're like, you're coming with us, right? And I'm like, I can't who was the ad his name was norwood teague and okay. then my friend mike ellis who was the deputy ad and they were like you're going with us and i'm like i'm going to denver with richmond so i traveled with the university of richmond and this is chris mooney had only been there a couple years who's another amazing dude and we flew to denver and richmond uh, vc was in the first four game they beat usc so yeah. then they go to chicago and they're like come to chicago and i'm like i'm in denver and like it was just amazing and then they both win and then they both go to San Antonio for the Sweet 16 were they both 11 seeds uh no Richmond was like uh Richmond was like a like maybe a 9 or 10 that's that's the highest they probably ever been yeah they they were really good they were really good 
And so then, so then we're all in San Antonio together, which was insane. And you know, VCU played Florida State, and Richmond played Kansas, and Kansas drilled Richmond, and then VCU wins in overtime, and then VCU beats Kansas. That's that's the memory of the whole thing. Them beating Kansas. Oh, because full like you'll edit some of this, right? Um, we were so hungover. <laughs> Because when we beat Florida State, we just absolutely went out and partied so bad. And you figured that was it. That's it. We're going to get drilled by it. So let's enjoy it. We were everyone, uh, not the team. I mean, the support people. We were so hungover. We were the first game. It was like, the game is like 12 in San Antonio. And then like, it just started happening. And we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then getting home at three in the morning. So I flew home on the charter with VCU. And it's amazing. And we're like, they're like, the, the Seagull Center's filled up. And they're like, what? And they're like, yeah, the, there's 5,000 people in the Seagull Center. It's like, it's 2 in the morning. V- Ram Nation could not fathom that their team was in the Final Four. And we walked into the Seagull Center at, whatever, 2.30 in the morning. And there's like 7,000 people there. It's, it's just chills. It that, that's just, amazing, right? Yeah. And so like, all those, so like all those memories, getting a police escort to the airport and people are like, on like 295, like as you're at the airport, and they're like waving because they know it's the bus that's going, taking the team. It just was, it was insane. It was so, so, so cool. And Shaka was like the perfect coach for that because he was young. He was trying to figure it out, you know? Um, and it was just, yeah. And then you think about all the coaches that were on that team, right? Mike Rhodes and Mike Jones, who's now the coach at UNC Greensboro. And Will Wade, who's not coaching right now, obviously, from his uh, transgressions at LSU. And then maybe the most successful coach and the only one who's won a national championship is Kyle Getter, who's Tony Bennett's lead assistant at uh, UVA. And he's the only one from that staff that's won a national championship. And then Shaka's, of course, at, at Marquette. That was amazing. It was, yeah. I, I, I mean, to be part of that was pretty damn special. Lightning in a bottle. Yeah, like yes, like let's let's call it what it was. They shot the three ball at a ridiculous rate. All five players on the court. Yeah, they shot the lights out. Brandon Rozelle, who works for VCU now, and we see him. They call him the mayor, and he'll like yes, it was the greatest stretch for him and Skeen and Joey played with no fear. Joey Rodriguez and yeah, they just were not. I remember this story has been told, and it's in the documentary. The documentary is on uh, on uh, Amazon. If you ever like, it's so good. I'll watch it from time to time. And uh, the, the the Morris brothers, Markeith and um, oh yeah, they're in the NBA now. They were talking smack before the game. One of them in particular, yeah. And they're like, "You're going down. You're going down." And they're like, "It's over, Cinderella. You. It's over, yeah. Cinderella. yeah." And uh, so it's just, yeah, it was ridiculous. And then just like it all ended with a dud against Butler, you know. And it's just like, eh. And then you Butler know. almost beat Duke in the championship. Yeah, uh, it was uh, Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut. Yeah. And uh, but it was the, that those two runs were just yeah they were really 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 special. But then like you know you talk about the UVA winning the national championship and those two games that they had the game against Purdue and then the game against right they get knocked out the year before by Towson and now they're the joke of college basketball right the first one seed to lose it was to bad. a sixteen seed and it was bad. No, it was uh, Baltimore University. Oh, UMBC. When yeah, I say Towson, yeah, yeah, yeah UMBC. Yeah. UMBC. Dave Odom's kid, Ryan, coached And then that the team, next yeah. year, they run the table, and they have these amazing games. And, like, so, I mean, that's right up there, too. I was not part of that whole thing. I actually really didn't cover that many UVA games, but I was at the Final Four because we used to just go and go on Radio Row and do the radio show. At, uh, and you had the, the ability to do that, which is really cool. That's really cool. 
does any radio sports person get to do that? So we were the Westwood One station in Richmond. So we carried uh, the whole tournament. And so then basically we would go. And honestly, so you know how like they rank media markets, right? Like New York's one, LA's two, Chicago's three. Richmond radio market is like 56, 57. Mm. Right? It's like, yeah, it's pretty good. They, oh, they, they, they top, 50, the final top 60. Yeah. But we were probably one of the smallest markets there. It's, you know, it's Atlanta. It's Nashville, it's 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 uh, Raleigh, it's you know Philly, you know DC. It's it's bigger. San Diego, Phoenix. It's it's markets Richmond like doesn't that. have a pro sports team. Yeah, I think that's why. Like, but we were always aggressive, kind of like we were with Channel Six. Like, can we do it? Let's just go do it. Like, I always we were very lucky at Channel Six that we were able to travel, and I give them credit. So, first of all, can we just say real quick, like Channel Six is the only station now that has local sports. That's unbelievable to me. Channel 8 and Channel 12 do not employ local sportscasters. That is a crime. That is, I mean, that is ridiculous that they don't have full-time sports people. Do they not believe that they can make it's money budget. from it? It's budget. Uh, if they're not, it's because they don't have the right people selling it. Yeah. In my opinion. I agree. In my opinion. Um, I think that's a crime. There's nothing more local than local sports. So if if, uh, if you need to get weather, there are a thousand different places you can go to get weather. Local sports, not so much. Couldn't agree with you more. And so kudos to Lane and Sean for the job they do. And, like, they'll do some stories on 12 and 8, but, like, they don't really. They're not covering it. Yeah. It's not know? consistent. It's ridiculous. They'll, they'll do so, a, big, a big story that becomes a news story, not necessarily a sports thing. Yeah, I just think like sports is part of every community's right fabric, right? People coming together, and I don't, you know, not even, not even football. Like, um, look, we just had the volleyball championships, right? right. Midlow won. Patrick Henry's got a dynasty, right? For volleyball, seven, basically. seven in a row. My yeah. goodness, like that brings people together. That brings people together. It is a huge source of pride. Yeah. And Randolph Macon winning the national chip. That brings people together. So I think that's really important. All right. When you first started at six, who were the uh, weekend guys at eight and 12? The, so great guys. At 12, at eight, it was my friend Kevin Brandmeyer, who now works for Goldman Sachs and makes a gazillion dollars. Because he was just like, screw you guys. I'm going to go make money. He, he pivoted from <laughs> he not did. making money to making money. He lives in Brooklyn. He's awesome. We talk a couple times a year. When we go up to Brooklyn, we'll see him. And he was great. And uh, he was an L.A. guy. He grew up in L.A., went to Louisiana, and then came to Richmond. And then I can't remember the guy at 12. Um, and But my best friend was the sports photographer, and we all lived on in a house on Mulberry Street. So it was like four guys from Channel 6 and this guy from Channel 12, and we just had so much fun. And because we were all at the same things, and we were all young and single and just like working these weird hours, and it was awesome. It was so much fun, and we had a, we had a blast. When was Steve Stans at 12? He was before I got here. Okay. He's another just awesome guy. I never worked with Steve but then, like, once we started going down to Florida, we would go to Florida for the Daytona 500 and then spring training, the beginning of Brave spring training. And we would, he would just take care of us. He would take us out to dinner. And he's, he's, he seems like an amazing guy. That guy is, yeah. I bet he has some stories. <laughs> just tiger stories. You know, he's got tiger stories for days. He's, he's been on this podcast and he, he has, yeah, he's epic. He was so cool to do it. He was so cool to do it. He's a good dude, man. All right, so how long were you at six? Ten years. Ten years. 98 to 2008. And then you pivoted to a radio show, effectively? I mean, real, I started the radio show in uh, 
in 04. So there was a oh, so you were doing double duty for four years. There was a four year stretch where I basically worked every day. I did the radio show and TV, and because I was weekend anchor, I worked seven days a week for four years. It's pretty brutal. I got a little burned out, and you so, probably got burned out like a year in. And it was awesome, and I, um, like. It, it was it was amazing because I got to do all these amazing things. I was juggling things and and won a bunch of awards for that. But like, and when my contract was up in two thousand eight, I'd asked Channel Six if I could have off one weekend a month, and I wouldn't even do it during um, sweeps. You know the ratings periods, which is you know November, May, and February. And the news director said no, mm-hmm. and so I said, okay, I'm good. Um, so I didn't resign, and everybody was just like floored. But I was like, I'm not asking. I just, I didn't even ask for a raise. I just, I had just gotten married. We were trying to start a family, and this guy was kind of a jerk. And so I was like, okay. So I just then I did the, I went all in on the radio show, and started working for the radio station, and started selling advertising, and just went all in on that. And then the VCU thing kind of popped up, which I never saw coming. But yeah, I love Channel Six. I mean, everybody there. I have so, so many friends there. The news director, who was kind of a jerk, is long gone. But um, the guy who runs it now is just like such a good dude, Stephen Hayes. He's the general manager, and he is deeply committed to sports, and they do a great job. So, yeah, it, I mean, right, you make these decisions, you're not really sure, and then it kind of unfolds the way it does. And, yeah, it worked out, and then the radio show just – I never thought that was going to be a thing. But that lasted for 15 years. Yeah, really long time. I never thought the radio show would, would – yeah, I just that was never what I saw, but like people liked it, and I think we just tried to talk. We just always put the what's local today. We can talk about. There are four things. We're like, if we can talk about, well, at the time, Redskins, Commanders, Virginia Tech football, UVA, and like VCU basketball, like those four things local, we would hit a big segment of our audience if we hit one of those topics every day. Everybody in Richmond Metro is UVA Tech or VCU. Yeah. And there's some uh, U, U of R smattering, but a lot of people from up north go there, not necessarily people that are from Richmond or stay in Richmond. Absolutely. And, and we knew. And then like Commander slash NFL. Like the NFL is just dominant in, yeah. in, the, in its level of interest. So we knew that. And then... We just tried to like find local stories and angles and you know guys who went grew up here played here and and yeah it was it was really really fun. So you're selling ads for the show. Yeah. You're producing a lot of the content and yeah. you're and you're the voice of the show. It was yeah. I mean we were hustling, but yeah, I mean you have to you know. I mean this is such a better format. I mean truthfully because. People can digest it and consume it when they want. I'm talking about podcasts, right? Yeah. Yep. Like you know. The average commute in America is like 14 minutes, right? And so, like, basically, that's your, that's what you're getting. The people that are driving to work are going home after work. And so they were missing so much, even though that we put it up and, you know, oh, you can listen to, you know, and it just, you, you felt like people weren't hearing everything that you were working on. And now, like, it's so easy to just do that. Yeah, it's asynchronous, as my son would say. 100%. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, you have to go where the people are, and you have to give it to them when they're ready to consume it. And not like, well, I'm on from three to six. Yeah, stop everything you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which is why, like, local news won't be around, but so much. Like, it's amazing who, it's still around. Who is staying up to 11 o'clock? Like, come on. There's, when they have 3,000 other options. It's just not. It's just, it's being propped up. But, there, it, yeah, at some point, that will go away. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you got your master's in education from... 
VCU. When did uh, you decide to do that? When I started teaching, the, it wasn't a requirement to have a master's degree, but they were getting ready to put it in. So to teach a master's program, you need to have a master's. Makes sense. And so my boss is this brilliant, brilliant woman named Carrie LaCrom, and she's the director of our program. And she's like, if you, you know, if you want to do this, you know, you know, we'll pay for it. And I was like, okay. And it was tough. I had just had a kid, and I was hustling at the radio station, and I was teaching, and then I was taking night classes. I was 40 or 41 or 42. It was hard. Sounds brutal. It was hard. But I'm so glad I did it. How long did it take you? Uh, two years. Two okay. and a half years. Yeah. And it's a brilliant, brilliant program. Um, and for people who want to work in sport, uh, we're heavy in college sports, right? We have people that work all over in college sports. Um, but we have people that work for the NBA, NHL, NFL, NASCAR, F1, USGA. Like, there's not a segment of the global sport industry where we don't have somebody working. When did that program start? It started about 22 years ago, 23 years ago, 99. And uh, it used to be called the Sports Center. Okay. Because it was modeled after VCU's advertising school, which is called the Brand Center, right? Which is the number one advertising school in America, VCU's Brand Center. And so our athletic director at the time said, we'll call it the Sports Center. Then this company in Bristol, Connecticut was like, hey, you can't call it Sports Center, people. Could you politely change the name? So they called it the VCU Center for Sport Leadership. Why does ESPN care? Uh, I get it. I mean, it's fine. They were very, I mean, it wasn't like it was a cease and desist. They were like, guys, come on. They're, they're, n- they're nudging at that point. And so then, uh, so we rebranded it, and it's great. We, uh, for the longest time, this is it. We, we had the only masters in sport leadership in the country. Some school up in New England just copied it. but And you're really saying prepare. sport leadership. Yeah, so it, it's, I know. We say sports, right? Sure. But like in the global, it's sport is a collective. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Sport right. is a collective. And so that's some of my pretentious academics it's, that it's, I work It's a with, collective and an adjective. Yes. And the S serves no purpose. In our brand. But let me tell you what. If I could go back and tell them to put an S on it, I would. Because <laughs> I've fought so many battles. I mean, I've called people. I was like, hey, it's actually sport leadership. <laughs> so you're, you're very much academic and non-academic <laughs> all at the same time. I, I, I mean, they're like, are, are you going to get your PhD? I'm like, I'm good. I don't, I'm, I'm good. I don't need the PhD. That, that sounds like four times First the pain of, of the, the masters. The, yeah. the PhDs I work with are brilliant. You, are you guys fantasy football guys? Yes. I work with one of the leading fantasy football researchers in America. His name's Brendan Dwyer. And he he lives like three miles from here, by the way. Really? He lives in King's Charter. Uh, King's uh, Charter's super close, right? I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not making this up. We also have a sports podcast. Oh, do you really? Yeah. <laughs> he, or should I say sport podcast? You should have him on. You should have him on. He has done so much research on fantasy football. And the one that got the most attention was that basically if – your fantasy quarterback is playing your favorite team, right? You're an Eagles fan, but you have Dak, Dak Prescott, right? You'll root for your fantasy quarterback against your all day long. That's insane to me. That's insane to me. That depends on how much depends on how much money. And stake. he like did this research a bunch of years ago. And I'm like, yeah, I yeah. I could have told him 25 years ago that was <laughs> true. And so, and then Carrie. Uh, is one of the leading experts in what's called sport for development, how sports can create social change in a community. It's not wrong. We work with um, the U.S. State Department. So the U.S. State Department has a sports diplomacy division. Hmm. And we have traveled all around the world using sport 
specifically soccer because Carrie was an All-American soccer player. Her husband is the director of youth development at Strikers. And so we have been, I mean, I've been to like eight or nine countries because of them. She's been to like way more, China, Ethiopia, uh, India. uh, We've been to South Africa twice. Wow. Um, And so, yeah, like the whole thing that sport can change the world. Right, sport has the power to change the world, and sport can create positive social change in communities. And so, like that's really kind of at the backbone of of sort of what we do. And so, they're two really, really brilliant PhDs. And when you call people doctor, it should be reserved for people like them, and not for people like me. (laughs) Not me at all. Oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about here. Uh, So, when's the buzzer going off? No, you're good, man. Uh, All right, so when you teach. What are you teaching primarily? I teach, shockingly, sports, media, and communications. Okay. <laughs> Seems to be in your wheelhouse. Uh, it is not how to be a reporter. It is sort of an insider's perspective of how this media industry operates, and it has changed a lot. There's been a, so much disruption, right, yep. in the last 10 to 15 years, right? I mean, we didn't have iPhones 16 years ago, right? Social media is relatively new. Streaming, right, is now just massive everywhere. People are cutting the cord left and right. Ten years ago, ESPN was in 100 million households. It's now in less than 80. And it's going 80 million that, households. And, and, and continuing that direction. And that's money, right? Yeah. That, that's hemorrhaging money. Every subscriber, that's eight bucks a month, right, times 80 million. So you can do sort of the math on it. ESPN's losing billions and billions of dollars. That's why they're all... And they're all losing. Every cable channel's losing money every time somebody cuts cable. But ESPN is losing the most because they have the largest subscriber fee. And so we talk about that. We talk about uh, sports fans changing consumption habits, uh, how they get their sports news and information, how they watch live sports. Um, And we talk a lot about this, content. Yeah, yeah. And what content resonates with what audience. And we talk a lot about that and how that drives... You know, like uh, like with teams, there was just a question on the midterm, and it was you know how teams are using social media. Mostly, they're trying to drive you and influence you to buy tickets. That at the, at the end of the day, that's what they're doing, and there can be all sorts of ways to do that. And so, we talk a lot about that. I also, teach a sales and like sponsorships class, which again, I probably don't teach that class. So I didn't end up selling advertising for the radio station <laughs> and like having to knock on doors and cold call and all that kind of stuff, and like. So we talk a lot about sales and then development, which is fundraising in college athletics. Uh, Definitely an intersection of sports and money, sports and business. We teach the business of sport. That's what we do in our program. We're teaching the business of sport. Like this, we have a leadership in sport class, sociology in sport class, an event development and facility management class, my class, a coaching class, and like a sport finance class. So that's just this semester. If you're if you're in love with sports, every aspect of sports, it's a dream program. Our students take classes in the morning, and then every single one of them has essentially a part-time job. We call them graduate assistantships, and they're working the afternoons and evenings in their GA, their graduate assistantship. About two-thirds of our students work for VCU Athletics, but we have four that work at U of R. Mm. We have them work for the Squirrels, for Strikers, for Kickers. We, I mean, we have partnerships with pretty much every sport organization in Richmond. Like this new Green City thing that's going to go up, you know, just down the road. Tell me what that is. Yeah, uh, Green City. Yeah, that's going to be the new live, work, play development, and there part of it is going to be um, a seventeen thousand seat arena. It'll basically be the new, you know, Richmond Coliseum. Where's it going? 
uh, right over here, like uh, you know, two ninety five and ninety five and okay. over that. Old yeah, best products. old best products. Oh, yeah. Wow, and it's going to be amazing. Not it's going to be amazing. And then you know, between that and what's going on at Virginia Center Commons with that smaller convocation center, right? We um, so sports tourism is the number one driver of revenue in the tourism market for Richmond, and that's crazy because we don't have pro sports. But we, so it's it's largely generated by the amount of amateur sporting events we have. So like. The two biggest weekends for sports tourism in the Richmond area is NASCAR weekend, which obviously has dwindled, but it still is a moneymaker, and Jefferson Cup. Wow. Right? Which is a boys' weekend and a girls' weekend. And the number of teams that come and the number of – so they call it heads and beds. How many hotel rooms? Yeah. And occupancies at an all-time high for those two weekends. Um, and we have some friends. Jack Berry runs Richmond Region Tourism, and we have some, some folks who work on the sports side. And they'll go out and they're trying to bring events to Richmond, right? They're trying to bring, you know, they just, like, where's Pole Green, right? Pole Green's right around here. They just had, right, they just had, like, a uh, the Atlantic 10 cross-country championships at Pole Green. It's crazy. Right? That's bringing all those teams here. Yeah. Right? And so, but yes, Richmond is more than lacking a pro team. We lack facilities. And so... We do have some that are really great, right? Like RFMP Park or like River City Sportplex down in Chesterfield. But this coming Green City and Virginia Center Commons and then our athletic village at VCU that we're going to build, um, that's going to help us lure more events here. Um, when that arena gets built at Green City, we'll, we'll host NCAA tournaments again. Like we'll be back to having that's awesome. the NCAA tournament. That's a, like. They, they've just been waiting. We have other NCAA events, but we've had things like we've had U.S. figure skating events here. We've had the U.S. the Olympic trials for the Taekwondo were in Richmond like two summers ago, like yeah. down at the convention center. So like we have all these random events that people that probably don't get covered that much like in the in the TD. I'm not saying that they should, but it's really, really cool. We used to talk a lot about it in the radio because we had a partnership with them. I thought it was important for people to know that like. This is helping us. Like it's driving economic impact Absolutely. in Richmond, and so it was really, it was really important for us to share that. And uh, and they're doing some really cool things. But when those those facilities come online, oh, it's going to take it to another level. All right, so let's back up to no pro sports teams in Richmond, DC, a couple hours away, but it's not Richmond. Was there any point when you were at uh, CBS 6 or on the radio where you're like, I regret us not having pro sports in the city of Richmond? Not really. I mean, I maybe because I know the economics of it. We don't have enough people to support a team. Um, I mean, how many versions of minor league hockey did we have? Like Several. And they all had to start with an R, the, the names, the mascots. <laughs> so that was like, it's tricky. Like. You know, it's hard. There's a lot of competition for all of our entertainment dollar now, right? Not just sports, but, like, how are we going to spend that discretionary income with our families? I I mean, what Parney and the Squirrels do is as good as what any team at that level does in America. Oh, like, they're, br- they're brilliant. Yeah. Parney will tell you, he's spoken to our grad program many, many times. He's like, I'm not in the baseball business. I'm not in the player development business. I'm in the memory-making business. Mm. I want people to come to the diamond, say what we want about the diamond, but I want people to come to the diamond. I'm like, that was fun. We got to go back. 
That's what that's his goal, and more people can rally around that notion than just coming to see a good ball game. Exactly, or like, oh, this shortstop's going to be with the Giants next year. Like, I that's cool to me, yeah. and you guys, but like the average fan, and certainly my ten year old son, like that doesn't that's just not going to resonate with him. And so I think that um, I know I never felt like we needed pro sports because we did have. The Redskins now commanders up the road, and then they brought training camp here for you know whatever it was seven years, and so we were with them all the time. And this is a college sports town, like it. We I think college sports drives sort of you know the, the drives the bus in many uh, ways, and not just. I'm not even talking about Virginia, Virginia Tech, VC Richmond. Do you know how many SEC football fans are around here? Way like too, way too many, right? Like there's so many Georgia fans and Alabama fans, and. All the people, then ACC fans, Duke and Carolina, and like I, so I'm like, I'll full disclosure, I'm a big South Carolina football fan now because Shane Beamer, I, we had him on the radio show every week during football season for like four years, and so I love what he's doing. That win over Tennessee, I was screaming my head off last week. They killed them. It was awesome. And the the backstory is his offensive coordinator. Their offense has been terrible, and. Everybody's saying he has to fire his offensive coordinator. His offensive coordinator is his oldest friend in coaching. Yeah, he's not firing him. Well, I don't know if he will or he won't, but like I don't think that's that that's hard. He's obviously he's like he's a good coach, but they're not getting it done. So what do you do, right? And there's all this pressure. It's Marcus Satterfield. He's a great, great dude, but they've been struggling. And then they dropped sixty three on Tennessee. Like, go, how does that even happen? Sometimes it just takes time, man. Yeah, it's just like, it's so crazy. So, we're a college town. We're like a AAA town, right? We're like Louisville. We're like Memphis. Yeah. Right? And they're, and they're both cool towns. And that's what I think we are like. And so, I don't. Like, could Norfolk get a team? Like, that Nor- the Hampton Roads could get a team because there's just a boatload of people who live down there. Within a 45-minute drive of Norfolk. Yeah. There's so many more people that live in that part of the state than here. And so, like, if a team's coming to Virginia, it's probably going there. The last pro sports team that I know of to be in uh, Central Virginia was the Virginia Squires <sighs> in the 70s. You know who the big name for the Squires was? My childhood hero. My childhood hero as well. Dr. J. Yeah, I, I tell everybody every chance I get that, yeah, Dr. J played for a uh, Dr. J. A Virginia-based pro basketball team. So those Squire Irving uh, Squire jerseys um, are, yeah, awesome. And so somebody asked me a long time, like, I think Richmond's a great sports town. I said that in 1998 when people were like, it's terrible. If we're judging on attendance, that's just such an outdated metric because people don't go to as many games. Yeah. They just don't. They can watch it on the internet or on TV. The at-home experience is so much better now, right? TVs are cheaper and everything. Like, it's just, if we're judging by attendance, that's just, to me, is a misleading and outdated metric. And so, um, but if I look at TV ratings, like, I was just, I was looking at uh, the ratings for the, um, a couple World Cup games. I'll bet you that Richmond's in the top 10 for World Cup ratings for cities. Probably. At least in the top 15. As a percentage of the population? Yeah. I bet you that they will be Richmond TV market. And um, I'll I'll have to ask Lane, like, hey, what are they? Do do you guys know what they are? Because I saw the top five. They didn't list the top 10. Richmond's almost always in the top 10 for, like, whatever the biggest college game is, whatever Monday night football is, whatever Thursday night football People are watching and consuming a lot of sports in this town. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully this podcast. 
Right, hey, right on. I love that, Greg. All right, here's a fun philosophical and maybe a business question as well. Okay. Should VCU uh, have a football team? No. In fact, you knew I don't coming. even have to think about it. I want to strangle anyone who thinks that that is a good idea. Is it because it's so cost prohibitive the first 10 to 15 years? I wish you could get somebody from ODU to ask them. On a on like a, a lie detector, whether if they could go back and undo that, they're losing money, right? They have to be hemorrhaging. Yeah, they have to be. And I think because I think people think basketball suffered, and their other teams have suffered. Oh, there's no doubt they did. And so, yeah, it will never happen at VCU, ever. Um, Everybody I've ever talked to that has an opinion or has people some are insight. like I'd buy sport. I, they this is what they say. They're like I'd buy season tickets. I'm like. They don't want you to buy season tickets. They need you to donate twenty thousand dollars at That's least. What, yeah, at least like, twenty. Yeah. It would be over a hundred million dollars to start. Like yeah. to just, it yeah. would be over. It, it. That's the down payment. But what we're going to do is we're going to upgrade our facilities. Like, have you guys ever been to our practice facility for basketball? Mm-mm. All right, we'll have to. It's. I don't have anything to compare it with because I don't go all to every campus. From people in college basketball, there aren't five nicer in America than what we have at VCU. And it's because you don't have a football program and you can... I mean, because we also capitalized on the Final Four, right? We, we struck while the iron was hot. Why I think it's you? something that George Mason probably didn't do as much as they should. They were in the Final Four in 06 and just yeah. didn't, didn't really capitalize on it. And we're going to build this athletic complex at VCU. Our best sport's probably tennis. We have more championships mm. in tennis. They're going to build this indoor-outdoor tennis facility that's going to be... I was at UCLA last spring, and I saw what they did. They're like, it's going to kind of look like that. I'm like, oh, my God, that's going to be awesome. UCLA is a huge Can we program. import some um, palm trees, too? That'd be great. And, and, their, that. and their weather. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, football is just not, it's just not meant for some schools. And I have a friend who's going to work out at Gonzaga. And, like, they're the same way. Like, they don't, we're, we're a basketball school, and we don't, we don't need to wear it. It's such a drain on an athletic department. Well, that and uh, basketball has not changed that much. Like the core of how the game is played, how it's regulated. Yeah. Football's changed tremendously in the last 25 years. I, the best story I ever did in TV was I interviewed at the time. I don't remember when this was. 08 maybe? 07? I interviewed the oldest living Virginia Tech football player. <laughs> That's really cool. He was about to turn 100. He lived off a river road. I got in touch with his daughter. And they're like, we ride the donor bus from Parham Road to Blacksburg. Rode the bus with him. Sat with him at the game. Followed him the whole day. Interviewed him. It was so awesome. It was so great. His name was Robbie Robbins. Robbie Robeson. And um, he graduated from Tech in 1934. He played against Bear Bryant. <laughs> He's the only person you ever met that could say that, right? And the greatest thing he said was, I go, sir, how do you do you watch a lot of football? He's like, yeah, I go to all the tech games. I go to How is the game change compared to when you played? I go, what's, what's the biggest difference? And he said, the forward pass. <laughs> you like, thought you had been in the I, time machine. I was like, oh, my God. I, it was the greatest answer ever. Yeah. The forward pass. <laughs> I thought he was going to say something like uh, uh, not hitting hard or something. Just something yes. from the last 20 years. And so I just, it was so, it was so, it was the best story that we ever did. It was so, so funny. He was such a, such a, the family was so nice. 
And then he passed away like two or three years later. And they're like, he passed away. We're going to show your story at the thing. And we went to the funeral and the memorial service. He was so nice. And like Tech made a big thing about it. But yeah, he was the oldest living Virginia Tech football player. At the wow. time. It it's a great story. He was really good. It's an awesome opportunity. Yeah. And talk about uh, posterity. My gosh. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, those. For those, the school and the family. I loved. Yeah. I love those kind of stories. There's a guy who works for Channel 6 now named Greg McQuaid. And he he's the best reporter in this market maybe ever. I don't even know how many Emmy Awards and Murrow Awards he's won, but he like has such a knack for finding those stories. Human interest stories are great. He's really good. So the next guy that you need, he's we always say he's the Greg with the Emmys. I'm the Greg without the Emmys. <laughs> he, he's he is so so talented, and he's been doing it a long time in Richmond. He's, he got here right after me, so like 2000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw him in the airport. I'm like, oh, that's Greg McQuaid. I, I, I kind of fanboy a little bit. He's uh, he's so good. His only problem is he's from Boston. He's that, a Patriots fan. He's a Red Sox a fan. Yeah, it's despicable. That's really awful. It wasn't despicable when they never won. But then they started winning everything. And I went to my I went to Fenway the first time in 04 with him, me, him, and another guy. We went up there. His mom lives up that way, so we stayed, and we went to the game. It was 04, and then... That's the year they won the World oh, yeah. Series. I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> um, and then it just got awful after that because they won everything. The Sox won everything and the Patriots won everything. You figured the they were one and the done. You figured the city and the region was one and done. They won like 11 championships. I'm like, this is awful. What did we start? Yeah, I actually, for the first time in my life, around 2008, 2009, disliked Boston sports more than New York sports. <laughs> yes. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't. Nobody likes when somebody wins too much. Right, never, never, unless they're your team. Yeah, and even yeah. then, like I love Jeff Gordon. NASCAR fans hated Jeff Gordon because he won too much. And he's well, from, and he's from Indiana. Yeah, California, Indiana thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. he wasn't Earnhardt. They like, but they resented him for winning too much. And then they changed the whole championship system basically because yeah, of him. Yeah, he would have won seven titles if Easily. they hadn't changed it. And so, uh, yeah, they don't like when you win too much. That's one thing I definitely have learned. Yeah, I think that's right. That's the human psychology, I guess. I think it is anyway. All right, so I'm changing gears real quickly. Sure. It's a question we ask at the end for a lot of these. Okay. Have you listened to a full one? Uh, or did you give up like after? I through? fell asleep, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> that's in line with uh, you can't stand lame. <laughs> uh, well, since you fell asleep and you never heard this at the end of a recording. All right, you're. I mean, this is hilarious, actually. Wow, how do I think about this? You're an, you're an actual, you've had your own radio show. Yeah. All right, but imagine you're Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or Colbert, one of those guys. But you only get to do it one time. Oh, okay. You get an oh, hour. Oh, God. You're on TV, so audio, audio visual matters. You get to have four guests. Oh, my God. Uh, one male, one female, one uh, musical act. And then if you're a stand-up comedy person, you can share a, oh, a comedian. Oh, my God. Good and, question. Now, hold on. They can be alive or dead. Okay. Your show can be entertaining. It can be thought-provoking. It can be deep if you want it to be deep. Man. It can be whatever you want it to be. But who are your four guests based on those criteria? I mean, I'm going to try to stick with two like sports people just because there were definitely folks who we want. I never got Dr. J on. We tried many times. Um, and it just didn't work out. I, I, like I, I we interviewed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but you, we didn't get you Dr. got you got Jabbar. <laughs> we got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but we didn't get Dr. J. 
Um, and it, it, I would think it would be easier to get Dr. J. Yeah, and it was, and like I think that was like again fanboy thing. Like it was just, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, yeah, he would probably be up there. I, I think after the so. We would get guests because of, like, somebody had a book. That's the easiest way to get a guest, if they have a book. Sure. Because they want to sell it. So, like, we had people on the show we probably had no business. Like, we had Joe Montana. But, like, we have no business having Joe Montana. <laughs> but he, he was either selling something. He was either doing, like, for MasterCard or Cialis or something like that. Or, because you know Joe, he's all about Cialis. And well, and Joe, Joe, right. Joe likes advertising, <laughs> too. Yeah, he's, he, he's not shy. Uh, so, I'll say Dr. J. But, like, I like interesting... I like interesting. Uh, you know what? The since his death, I've read a lot about Kobe Bryant, and like he is a very polarizing figure because of like he was very immature. We sort of gloss over what happened in Colorado, the rape charges and everything that just right. sort of mysteriously went away. But like he is a fascinating figure to me in sports in the way I think he is one of those rare who was driven at a level that like. I'm not sure exists in pro sports anywhere. I think that's probably right. And like I knew a little bit because he, you know, he's from Philly, right? Yep, His yep. dad was Jelly Bean Giant. So like I've just read a lot about like what drove. So I'm interested in like people that are driven to that compulsive, obsessive level. And him and Jordan were both like that. Yeah. Him and Jordan were both like that. So I'd say there, but Dr. J on the female side. Or do you have to pick one of those two? You're going to bring them both on because you've only got an hour. They say Jordan's kind of a jerk. Okay. They say Jordan's kind of a jerk. So I'm not that interested. But, like, all these interviews I've seen, like, with Kobe, who just realized, like, I think he realized he was a jerk. But And so when he stopped playing, it was almost like, okay, I don't have to be – I don't have to have that edge anymore. And he just became obsessed with his daughter and everything. And, and he all, brought his creative side out, too. Oh, my God. Absolutely. So I don't – like – it almost reminds me of like Andre Agassi. Remember how vilified Andre Agassi when he was first on, and like he was brash and the spiky hair and, and the be- mullet. You can't yeah, say spiky hair. Sure. It was a mullet. It was a mullet, and he was like he was a villain, and then like he became this like beloved figure. I love these like he was the Vegas transformation. He, he was the Vegas bad boy, and then he was beloved. Yeah. yeah. On the female side, so I, she's actually not playing right now. I think Naomi Osaka. The tennis player is one of the most interesting people right now because of what she's doing in terms of um, mental wellness mm. and sort of the pressures that, that exist. She's clearly except like she's at an elite, elite, elite level, but she's one of the few athletes who sort of has like taken a stand like it's it's too much, or I need to find where I can still compete at a high level, but I still can manage everything else. And, and again, we don't know what's going on in her life, but I love that she has sort of like tried to take a stand. In that, and so it's, it's very brave. Yeah, and I do. I'm around 22 to 25 year olds every day who like want to do this, and like what they their level of stress and anxiety is real. You guys have kids, right? It's it's real. Like I don't think it's fair for us to just dismiss millennials and Gen X and Gen. Like I just don't. Th- we have to kind of figure out like well, what do they need and how can like what I went through is virtually irrelevant <laughs> because it's a different time. And so like we try to figure out like, okay, well, why do they feel this way? And what can we do to help? And I'm not saying spoon feed them and make it easier, but like how can we find a way for them to grow and evolve? Because and succeed? there are ways. I think I haven't figured them out yet, but like we're trying to but figure that out. Yeah. I mean, we 
want to set a high we don't want to lower the standard like in our grad school program we don't want to lower the standard that's the worst thing you could do actually yes but how can we manage the expectation better so they don't feel overwhelmed stressed anxiety whatever it is and so like i just like that she's leading that conversation um and then what is it a musical act oh i'm a huge music guy this is so tough is there a genre you do not like like I, i i don't like jazz I can't take jazz. Oh, see, I really like jazz. But, like, that's not, I would not. It's probably between two. It'd be Billy Joel or Hall and Oates. Mm. I love them both a lot. Great songwriters. But. Yeah. Um, when uh, Daryl Hall was doing the whole Daryl's House thing and was doing, like, the that was, like, brilliant. They, oh, that'd be so tough. Um, What's your favorite Billy Joel song? You know, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I love scenes from an Italian restaurant. So does my wife. I love Big Shot. I love yeah. There's so many. I love Miami 2017. But yeah, Stranger Stranger albums got to be up there. But 50 Second Street. So many. I've seen him the most. Um, Hall, so Hall, Hall and Oates' favorite song. Um, <laughs> I would say. Please don't say Man Eater. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like all the songs that like the, were the pop songs growing up always just have happy memories. But like, like you did it in a minute, one on one. Sarah smiles. Sarah smiles. Yeah, there's oh, so many good ones. What's the last part? The comedian. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving you two for the male and the musical act. We went with one for the female. You can have two comedians too, but I, I, uh, on this one, I preferred you just one give us, comedian. Just give us one. Um, there's so many funny ones right now. Like, I, I mean, think comedy's made a comeback. The, the, so Sebastian Maniscalco has basically encapsulated growing up Italian. Like, and so, like he's really funny. the whole skit he does about when company so, comes over. The material's so good. It's so when company comes over com, when you were little compared to now is so funny. And like, I just grew up that way. Like, that was our family. And it was just really funny. Like, he does this whole thing about taking eggplant parmesan sandwiches to lunch in grade school. I'm like, I did that. Like, I, and nobody wanted to trade. And I didn't really want to trade. He was like trying to trade, but like, I didn't even want to trade. And so, like, I think he's really funny. But growing up, we would sneak to listen to like Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy. Oh, my gosh. We would like, it was so. It was just hilarious. They were wildly creative. Uh, they're pretty deep thinkers too to come uh, up with some of that comedy. There's no question. So I just watched like the Eddie Murphy things recently, like Delirious and Raw, and it was just is me and my brother and my cousin like just laughing our butts off. And I think he could have done maybe 20 more specials if he wanted to, but he, he just chose not to. I guess it takes a lot out of you. I think like um, see like I, again talking about like creative people. I think like they throw themselves into something. And then, like, okay, I'm going to do something else. Yeah. Like, it's like, I got that. And, like, that doesn't as excite me as much. And I think they feel like there's this, like, almost barometer of where they have to be sort of creatively to really excel. And, like, in talking to people that that created a, you know, much higher level, I think that's, like, yeah, he's like, oh, I'm going to go do something. And then he became this, like, megawatt, huge movie star, right? I saw Beverly Hills Cop recently, and I was like, "My God, that is so funny!" Oh yeah, like it's it's, it's only because of him that it's so yeah, funny. It's so funny. That's a good question. 
That's a really, really good question. That is not my question. Uh, it is my buddy Kevin Flippin's question. He is the occasional co-host. He joins us one out of every ten episodes, but that's his, and I ask it almost every time. That's a good. That is a. That is a. Really it's meant question. to be revealing. Uh, yeah, I think it. Yeah, it probably just goes back to all those things. You know, you're when you're, you know, twelve to fourteen. Yeah, somewhere. Well, yeah, uh, I had a uh, buddy of mine. His dad said, "The music you will love the rest of your life." You heard when you were ten to sixteen. Yeah, '80s music is is big. It's a big thing. I'm '70s and '80s, '70s and '80s music. But I, you know, we grew up with a lot of like Sinatra around the house, so we listen to a to. lot of Frank Sinatra, especially now Christmas time. Like that'll get heavy, heavy airplay. I love that. Be, yeah, that'll be yeah, that that'll be a lot. All right, what's next for you? Anything big coming up? No, we, um, I mean, we are, can I plug uh, VCU Center for Sport Leadership? Please. Sportleadership.vcu.edu. Like, that's our website. It's really great. And if you have any questions, like, all of our emails are there. So email me if you've got a young person. Hi. Speaking of young people. Hey, young people. My 16-year-old daughter just oh, joined. With a boxing glove. Yes. Ready to box somebody. Uh, oddly enough, with a boxing glove. But we, I love what we do at our program. I think it's like, uh, I got to like sort of do all this cool stuff and now i'm trying to help you know these younger people the next generation we, you know we could say the next generation of leaders in sport figure out what they want to do and so that is sort of my passion and what we do and so we're we're about to end the semester and go on break but we've got some really really cool things coming up and we just we have an agreement with um real madrid <laughs> so we send students over to work with Real Madrid, which is really, really cool. We're going back to Europe. We always go to Europe uh, in the spring and visit different teams. So we're going to Dublin, Liverpool, London, and Paris in April and May. And we'll just meet with a bunch of teams and organizations and learn about sort of global sport. So we've got some really cool it's – an, it's an amazing program. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I, I, I'm not naive that, like, a lot of folks still don't know about it, and it's my job to sort of, like, get the word out. But, like, we've got – it's, I mean, it's top 10 in the world. Mm. It's ranked among the top 10 programs in the world in sort of sport management, sport leadership. And so I'm very lucky to be a part of it. I kind of wish I was 21, 22 now. <laughs> it's, it's, let me tell you what, there are so many jobs because the sport industry downsized so much during COVID and just everybody got let go. I mean, including us, right? That's why we got let go during the radio show. And then, um, but now everybody's trying to ramp back up. So there's a lot of opportunity yeah. in sport for young people at all levels. And so I think our students that are graduating in May are going to have a lot of opportunities. It, yeah. it, it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be really, really fun. I can hear it in your voice that you're, you're all about the students, which is great. Yeah, they, I'm just, yeah. And I think because of the team we have, too, with Carrie and Brendan, um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really And we've got a great athlete. Our athletic director, Ed McLaughlin, who despite being – also a Bostonian, is an okay guy. Uh, but he's a huge partner of ours. And like Mike, so Mike Rhodes is an alum of the program. When Mike was the coach at Randolph-Macon, he, um, he got his master's degree part-time through our program. And I was like, really? I was like, how'd you manage to do that while you were coaching? He's like, uh, I wrote a, like a couple couple of papers, and they gave me a master's degree. I'm like, let's not tell that story to anybody. <laughs> not, not putting that on the website, Rhodes. <laughs> you know? But it was a different program. Then. But I was going to say, that was a while ago. He no. is such a huge advocate for us. And he just spoke to our coaching class. I'm like, you always talk about a guy who captures a room. Mm. Oh, my God. Mike Rhodes, we're so lucky he's our coach. He's, he's awesome. 
Greg, thank you so much for doing Thanks, this. Thanks, Paul really and Rob. It, Silent Rob, thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Wait, Merry wait, Christmas. Hold on, Rob's giving me something to say. Go ahead. You got a mic, dude. Tell us about your son real quick. What? Tell us about your son real quick. Oh, man. Trevor is 10. This is awesome. Today, he just won, like, top boy student in his class. Okay. For the first marking period. Nice. So, he went to the assembly today, and it was a real proud moment, parent moment. And he is super smart and loves gaming. And we are in the midst of a year-long Uno game. How does an Uno game go a year? I keep score. Uh, in a little book. Okay. And we... You win the month, but then we have the total for the year. And he's up 41 points on the year. That, so we've been keep. that's how close it is. 41 points. I was going to say, that's pretty close. Yeah, it's so close. And there is a prize at the end. And you're not letting him win. No. Yeah. I'm not. And now, like, it's, you know, Uno's a little different with two people, right? So we have, like, kind of some house rolls and things like that, you know. But it is so much fun because, um, and it's, it's you know, because he doesn't play a ton of sports. We've done Soccerness, but it's great to teach. It's sort of teaching competitiveness and winning and losing and this kind of stuff. It's so fun, and so like for a kid that doesn't play a lot of sports, man, is he competitive? Um, it's very very fun. But I'm so lucky to be his dad, and he's a he's a you know that you guys know. It's like the greatest gift. And you got to go to the World Series with him when he was ten. That was yeah. Game five, they did not win, but we saw Schwarber hit a home run, and that was like the moment. Like at first pitch in the first inning, and it was just great. So he's awesome, and he's in the fourth grade, and uh, yeah, I'm really lucky. Thank you for asking. He's he's a great kid. And he's just amped for Christmas, like every other ten year old. As he should, as every other ten year old. It's it's good to be a kid. He actually still believes in Santa. I can't believe I'm not. Is he going to listen to this anytime soon? Because you, I uh... maybe I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just wondering if we're going to actually get through like the rest of. The, this semester, like whatever, before he goes to break, and like somebody in his class, because this is the age where, like, I feel like most don't, but like, he's like, well, like, I know it's like kind of real, but like, he at least wants to believe, and I'm like, I am not spoiling it. I am oh, not oh, going to spoil you, it. You're, you'd be the worst dad ever. And yeah. so, yeah, so like, it's really, so you sort of really know, like, this is it. And so, but I know. Somebody in his class is going to just... It's amazing it hasn't happened already. I, I'm stunned. Once it gets to December 1st, all bets are off. It's absolutely <laughs> over. Thank you, guys. This was really fun. I uh, appreciate it. We had a great time. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.